Welcome to Market Week in Review for the week ending September 3rd, 2021. I'm Chris Kyle, and today I'm joined by Chief Investment Strategist, Paul Edelman. I trust you have a few exciting plans for the extended weekend, Paul. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. How are you? Uh, likewise. I think much needed. Well, hopefully you're enjoying. It's restful. Um, but before we get there, I know we have a few items to discuss first. Namely, let's start with continuing the conversation you touched on last week regarding the August jobs report, which released this morning. We saw a sharp decline in hires relative to both expectations as well as what was posted earlier this summer. However, the unemployment rate also dropped and wage growth increased. Any thoughts on what this means for the economy's recovery and especially the Fed's latest comments on their timing of tapering? Yeah, I mean, I think at the highest level, um, we're still seeing a labor market that's recovering fairly rapidly from the COVID crisis. But the news this morning for the month of August was at least directionally a disappointment. So as you mentioned, a miss versus consensus. We had job growth of 235,000 in August, which a couple of years ago would have been a good number, but that was unfortunately a shortfall of about a half a million jobs versus the consensus expectation. So there is a miss there. When we kind of go under the hood of the data, a lot of the weakness came from kind of two areas in terms of the surprise. One was a particularly big miss around state and local government education hiring. So think about hiring new teachers in advance of the school year. Uh, we had a, a 27,000 decline in jobs in, in that area of the economy versus expectations for a significant gain. And I think from our perspective, that looks like more noise than, than signal. And the BLS even noted that the numbers in that sector were pretty hard to interpret. So uh, pretty messy data in, in that component. The other area of weakness, however, I think does tie into some themes we've been talking about for a while around the Delta variant um, rapidly ramping up uh, in the United States and globally. And in August, the leisure and hospitality sector, which is one of the most exposed uh, sectors to uh, COVID developments, had job growth ratchet down pretty sharply uh, to basically a goose egg outcome. So you, we had zero net new jobs added versus the last six months averaging about 350,000 in that sector. So it looks like some of the weakness was due to the Delta variant, but I think by and large, what we're seeing right now in the US economy is a lot of job openings. So a lot of demand from employers to want to hire, um, some continued good progress around the unemployment rate falling. And as you mentioned in the question as well, some signs that wage pressures are building a bit here too, uh, given all that demand to hire. So I think from my perspective, by and large, it still looks like we're on a, a fairly healthy economic recovery here. I don't think this release was weak enough to significantly derail the Fed's plans. We think they'll still want to announce a decision to taper their asset purchases later this year. So I think that's still mostly on track. Um, but some noisy data, a little bit of a signal from Delta having an impact on certain sectors of the labor market. But by and large, I think the recovery is still looking pretty good here. I think that'll be something we keep a pulse on, especially in the coming month or two. Yep. But switching gears, let's take a two-part look at market events globally. First, monthly PMI data was released, primarily in the Eurozone, but also China, and was a bit of a mixed bag. In the same breath, the latest news out of China is a new stock exchange being established in Beijing, 
any connections we can draw here with respect to the ongoing regulatory clampdown? Maybe start with comments on PMI first, if that's all right. Yeah, so the PMIs, the purchase and manager indices, were weaker in August. I'd say they're actually relatively resilient in Europe. So uh, there, the composite PMI for the Eurozone only fell very slightly from 60 to 59 um, in August. And and 59 still shows very robust growth uh, in terms of the potential economic performance for the European economy going forward. So I think that was a slight ratcheting down, but um, still a a significant signal of, of strength. Uh, other data out of Europe was also a little bit softer. So they published retail sales this week for the month of July, and um, that fell pretty sharply. But again, I think a, a bit of noise there in the data where most of the volatility came from Germany that was dealing with some uh, pretty severe flooding issues that might have hindered uh, the ability to spend. So we still think the European recovery is looking pretty good here, particularly as we transition into 2022, Europe with their Recovery Fund is in a a pretty good place fiscally, doing a lot of stimulus to help invigorate growth and ensure a strong recovery uh, for the next couple of years. So I think that's quite important. In China, the news has directionally been a bit more negative. So they showed a pretty significant slowing in their PMI data for August. These were the official statistics. And that shouldn't be too surprising, frankly, because China had a COVID outbreak over the last one or two months, and they have a much stricter policy, a sort of zero tolerance policy around COVID outbreaks and really clamp down on mobility and a range of things to get that COVID outbreak under control. So the fact that we saw a sharp slowing, particularly on the the services side of the Chinese economy, kind of makes sense with those efforts to combat the virus. The, The good news is um, that COVID outbreak appears to be out of control, uh, under control now, excuse me, with uh, new infections in China dropping pretty, pretty sharply here. And we think policymakers in China are likely to pump a bit more stimulus in going forward on the monetary side with the potential for a reserve requirement ratio cut and potentially a, a loan prime rate cut before the end of this year to help stabilize economic growth. I think finally on the, the regulatory side, we've kind of talked about this being a secular theme and challenge for investing in China and a lot of continuing news there supporting that idea with tech giants donating uh, billions to help support some of the common prosperity initiatives that President Xi is pushing. And even some uh, interesting news if you're a parent around China not allowing children to under the age of 18 to play online video games during the week and and only one hour a day on weekends. I think for a lot of us uh, in Western economies, that sounds like a wonderful proposal, Uh, (laughs) but nevertheless, some challenges if you're a a China gaming company. So uh, continuing regulation out of China, I think is a theme we're gonna have to keep an eye on for for several months here. Certainly, certainly. And I I don't know how that would fly with uh, some of the students here in the US, but um, (laughs) to your point, I think parents would certainly appreciate it. Now, I don't think that previous topic would have been so dense if it weren't for comments made last night from Senator Minchin uh, regarding the $3.5 trillion stimulus package, specifically he's calling for a strategic pause on the reconciliation bill, really reaffirming misgivings he had since the start. 
What are the implications here? And is there a greater likelihood the bill could now fail in the Senate at all? It's certainly becoming a bit more of a coin toss. And as a reminder, the Democrats only have 50 members in the Senate. So in order to pass a Democrat only three and a half trillion dollar reconciliation bill, um, they need every single senator to sign on board with it. And so Manchin's call for a strategic pause is an important development. He sounds concerned, at least in his public comments about high government debt levels and the possibility that more and more stimulus from the government could increase inflationary risks. Um, and so what we've seen, and it's hard to measure these things, but um, in August, it looked like betting markets were putting about a 70% probability on this reconciliation bill being successful. Today, that number has dropped down close to a 50% chance. So it's become a very sort of murky situation that we're going to have to keep an eye on key voting members going forward. It's not an issue that's gone totally away, though. This morning, Democrats have uh, floated a, a little bit more detail around some of their proposals, including the possibility of taxing stock buybacks. And um, again, this reconciliation bill is quite an important one for financial markets because a lot of the stimulus is paid for by possible tax increases. And I think that just, again, just emphasizes how important tax-aware investment strategies are likely to be in the year ahead. Um, but as you say, it's certainly a, a bit murkier here with uh, Manchin pushing back against some of the more aggressive ambitions of the Democratic Party. Let's hope for some clarity and compromise later this month as summer quickly comes to a close. And with that, I believe we're at the end of our time today. Thanks so much for your insights, Paul. I hope you enjoy your weekend. And to all of our listeners, and especially those on the East Coast, we hope you're safe and recovering from impacts from the hurricane earlier this week. Be well, and we'll see you next time.